at its core, the United States is definitely still a secular society. We have a long way to go before secularism is the primary philosophy, but the fact that religion is allowed to exist here is proof that we are secular. Why do we even bother to think about God in relation to our national identity? How does it improve things? How does it help? Declaring Christianity as the national religion would not equal religious freedom. It would put more sects of Christianity in chains than it would liberate anyone. This is flat out not a good idea. The founding fathers of this country understood this, and that's why they wrote the Constitution the way that they did. Saying that we've been a Christian nation from the beginning and that everybody came here seeking religious liberty because they just didn't want to be Anglicans, that they wanted to be real Christians, that doesn't hold any water at all. Welcome to Unbound, a podcast for new atheists and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers, and free thinkers. There is life after faith. And life here is good. It's time for a new perspective and a better conversation. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And And it's it's time to get unbound. You know, words matter. There's a difference between a Christian nation and a secularized nation with an undue degree of Christian influence. America has a lot of Christians in it, but it's not a Christian nation, and we have it in writing. Our democracy is built on a foundation of secularism no matter what the average evangelical or dead 90s contemporary Christian music icon wants us to think. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And this time around, we're talking about just some of the reasons why America is not now, has never been, and as long as the Constitution remains a thing, will never be a Christian nation. Oh, sure, the Constitution could be completely tossed and our entire government revamped, but the shockwaves it would cause, particularly to our economy and the inevitable social unrest that would result, sort of keep the Constitution firmly in place, at least for the time being. But before we get into a whole discussion about that, Shell has two more Prophets Without Honor stories for us. One about people leaving and one where they come back, but it's not the same people. No. <laughs> and it's remarkably prophecy-free for two stories about prophets. It's our CB... It's our CBB segment for the... I almost said CBD again. It's our CBB, Christians Behaving Badly segment for the week, affectionately titled, Hello, I Must Be Going. But wait, I'm back. Take it, Shell. Well, first up is a really great guy. He seems like it. Yeah. Pastor and prophet, Perry Stone. If his name sounds familiar, he's made some buzz because a video of him speaking in tongues while checking his phone went viral. And I actually added the link to the YouTube video into the show notes in case anyone doesn't know what this is about. (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of cringeworthy when it happened. But uh, what is he up to right now? Well, last year, he preached a sermon to a puppet audience. Actual puppets? Actual puppets sitting in the pews, some with accessories. Like what? A tithing envelope. Oh, yeah. Well, we've we've all seen those. And a little sign saying, Amen. Well, because, because they, they kind of had to, they, they, had, they had to go for the interactive part of this. <laughs> yeah, because there were no people in the hall at all. Well, how would they be able to tell the difference? That's what yeah, I want to know. I don't know. I don't know. And he claims to have spoken four languages simultaneously while speaking in tongues. Simultaneously, as in he yes. was saying four things at the same time. Yes. Sounds more like 
possession. Yeah, I know, right? Than prophecy to me. He was giving a sermon and he just trailed off into tongues and he said, No, there's some people in other countries that'll get that. Wow, okay. Pastor yes. of puppets pulling the strings. <laughs> Twisting your mind and fucking your brain. Yeah. Uh, don't sue me, Lars. It's just a parody, okay? <laughs> and now he's trying to guilt people into never leaving church. I know the feeling of, <laughs> you know, being made to feel like you can never leave church. Right. I mean, I was there a lot. But he's really guilt-tripping these people. Oh, yeah, definitely. Tell him how. <laughs> In a video containing an urgent message... He says that if you have a position of responsibility in the church, you should never, ever, ever leave that position. Because if you are supposed to help somebody and you're not there in that position, their blood will be on your hands if they die. Dude, that's harsh. That is harsh. Very harsh. Yes. I mean, I'm, I was encouraged to be at church a lot. Yes. But, I mean, I was never told that it could kill someone. Yes. Or that it would send someone to hell if I wasn't there. Yeah. No, that was never an angle that was used on me. I remember once in college somebody said that if you met an unsaved person and you didn't witness to them, their blood would be on your hands. Oh, the Baptists were huge on that, yeah. too. They really did a number on us, especially I, I remember talking about how when you go to Word of Life for more than a week at a time, you wind up in this program called Two Week Adventure. And part of that is that they take you into Lake George, yay, to witness Boo. Ugh. Okay. And they do the same thing to you. You know, if you resist or you dare to try and make it clear that you're at camp to have fun, then they tell you, well, you have an opportunity here. Are you going to waste it? Because someone could get saved because you hand them a tract. And if you're not there to hand them the tract, then their blood will be on your hands. They said the exact same thing to us oh, yeah. to make us do all of that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's Stone now trying to explain. I just paraphrased this. What if you were to be the one to greet that young person or even pray for them at the altar and see them delivered from suicide and you're not there? See, there and it is. that person commits suicide because you were assigned to be the one to help them. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit has given me a warning for Christians to please be at the ministry he's called you because someone else will take your crown and you will not have anything to lay at the feet of Jesus when we bow and take off our crowns to worship him. This sounds to me like a fucked up version of It's a Wonderful Life with this tool playing Clarence. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. If you're not there, then all these terrible things are going to happen to these people and it's going to be your fault. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. No, that's, that was the first thing that came to mind when I was reading through that before. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, this guy is basically telling people the same thing that we were told as teenagers. You know, you can't go into Lake George and have fun. There are souls that need savings. And we, we kind of talked about the same thing last week, where one of the underlying messages in the New Testament about marriage is don't. You should be thinking about evangelizing, not fucking. You know, that's the way that uh, yeah. they make you think. And, mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's a running thread. Obviously, it's a Obviously. running thread. This guy learned from some of the same knees that the people that taught me this stuff did. Yeah. Notice, though, that he doesn't blame the pastor for any of it. It's just like people like the door greeters, the ushers, don't leave the church. 
awful things will happen, and the blood of the dead will be on your hands. Ooh, that's extra, ultra creepy. Yes. And of course, he's not going to point fingers at pastors, because that would leave him without an out if he ever wanted to leave the church that he was at. But pastor, didn't you say? Well, no, I said it about the ushers, not about me. These people are going to pay me more money, so see ya. This is coming from a guy who took a sabbatical last year because of inappropriate advances towards a woman. So they sent him on vacation no, for being a latch? No, he sent himself on vacation. So okay. that at least was him trying to be responsible. Got it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, how does that measure up to, you know, the stuff he's saying now? Crazy. No. Well, no, of course, but... There's no accountability here. No. You know, even if somebody were to try to call him out for that, there are outs that he has. The same stuff that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. They have outs and people will accept them simply because they're coming from someone that they have decided in their own heads is an authority. Yeah. So he can basically get away with saying whatever he wants. He can backtrack on it whenever he wants. And the people who listen to him most intently and send him the most money are going to continue listening to him. Of course. Of course they are. Yeah. Sounds like a cult. Well, it kind of does, but you know what it sounds like more to me? It sounds like his ministry is kind of a revolving door, and he's a little frustrated. People yeah. figure out he's cray-cray, and they bounce. You know? Yeah. Hashtag horrible bosses. That's what it <laughs> sounds like to me, is that he has trouble keeping people in certain ministry positions, so what he does is he guilts them into yeah. toughing it out a little bit longer. That's yep. what this is sounding like that, to me. You're probably right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that takes care of false prophet not prophesying number one. So what have we got next? Another prophet. Who's, seem- who doesn't actually prophesy no. in this particular instance. Yeah. No. Can't seem to get away from them. Can't seem to get away from those prophets. Nope. So what you're saying is whichever way you go, you come back to the place they are? Is that how it seems in your eyes? Oh, God. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, evangelist and prophet revivalist Dutch Sheets says that he's seen at least three people raised... At least three people. He doesn't know for sure. No. Raised from the dead who died from COVID. He said this on the Flashpoint live show last week. Here's a quote. I know of three situations personally of people who were raised from the dead by a doctor during COVID. One of those people, the death certificate, had already been signed. And this person was raised from the dead. Now, they can't talk about this because they could get in trouble, believe it or not, for doing this and for, you know, talking about it. A doctor who saves lives? Yeah, we can't talk about that. No. It's wild that apparently this person trusted Dutch sheets of all people with their secret. Also funny that no details are available that would prove this to anyone. Now, I did try to find secondary sources for this story, but Dutch Sheets doesn't even have a Wikipedia page, which is weird. So I did listen to the clip that was on Friendly Atheist, and yeah, that's what he said. Wow. I also went to YouTube and tried to watch his segment on Flashpoint, and I stopped after I heard that quote again. But I did read some of the comments. These people are believed by their followers. Every single thing they say, the comments were painful. It's clear that they believe every single word that any of these people say. Well, in the words of Puck in A Midsummer Night's Dream Act 3, Scene 2, Lord, what fools these mortals be. (laughs) And to answer the question directly, it's easier to believe than it is to think. 
Yeah. No thinking person would accept this. Nobody. But when you've been taught from birth to let other people do your thinking for you, this is what you get. You know what would be fun? Mm. I think Dutch Sheets and Mike Lindell should form an alliance and start a ministry together. <laughs> they can call it Pillows and Sheets. Oh, that's good. I think I'm on to something. Maybe they're listening. Let's see if yes. it happens in the next couple of months. <laughs> yes, it will be a restful ministry, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Mm. I mean, that was, isn't that where you used to go to church on Sundays if you actually slept in and you had to report for a church check at school? Oh, yeah. It's like, where did you go? I went to uh, Sorta Assembly of God yes. or something with Pastor Pillow and Sister Sheets, and yes. the sermon was about the comforter. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep, Isn't, I remember that. Wasn't that the running joke? It was yes. something like that, words to that effect. But no, as soon as I saw that, I was thinking, okay, well, for starters, um, I always called them Dutch oven. <laughs> <laughs> Dutch sheets. I mean, as soon as I saw that, the very first thing that I thought of was the pillow guy. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, and I'm wondering when Mike Lindell is going to wind up reeling his ugly head on this show again, because uh, he is still up to his antics. Oh, he is. And uh, there's actually been some fun stuff with him in the last couple of weeks, and I'm sure that we have not heard the last of him either. Oh, no. But, yeah, these so-called prophets, man, just all I can say to this is it may be taken the wrong way by some, but that's okay. Just keep doing what you're doing, guys, because, man, are you showing your true colors and you're showing the world just how fucking stupid you are. So while there's a part of me that thinks that we need a whole lot less of this content out there and that these voices really don't need to have a platform, there's a part of me that says that it's probably a good thing that they have it. Because, yeah. I mean, even among their own ranks, they are fucking laughingstocks. Yeah. And they should be regarded as laughing stocks because that's what they are. Any reasonable thinking person is not going to adhere to anything these people say or take it seriously. They look at it like it's pro wrestling. And yeah. that is about as substantive as it actually is. Right. So guys, keep doing what you're doing and keep showing your true colors. It's only going to advance our cause. And with that, just want to let you know that our Patreon is up at patreon.com slash unbound podcast network. If you can throw a five-hour hour away, we would certainly appreciate it and put it to good use. If you don't have the means to help us out right now, then please, by all means, continue doing what you're doing with your likes, your shares, your five-star ratings. Give us a good word on social media. Share out your favorite episodes. I'm seeing episode downloads all over the map just over the last couple of weeks, and that's kind of awesome. People are going back and discovering episodes that they haven't seen before, and they're downloading episodes that are kind of on the same level with the ones that they're listening to. Like I saw a bunch of downloads this week for our episode on what Christians are taught about sex on the heels of what we talked about last week. And that's the type of thing that I'd love to see happen because it means that the messaging is getting out there and that there are people that want to hear more. If you have the means to help us financially, again, it's patreon.com slash unbound podcast network. Otherwise, just keep coming back, get what you need, and we will be here for the duration to keep doing what we're doing and keep shining a light on all of the fuckery that these people exact on the world. And with that, let's dive right into our main topic for this episode. So is the United States a Christian nation? An alarming number of Americans think so and are taught so from the time they can understand. I learned this as a Catholic and it was really driven home to me as an evangelical. Pastors, evangelists, and politicians share this opinion and preach it loudly at every opportunity. Here's a quote from a great article on AU.org, and that 
uh, incidentally stands for Americans United. And I'm going to be referencing a couple of articles from this site tonight, but I really like this quote. They say in this article that the Christian nation myth is to history what creationism is to biology. It's a story that some people have latched onto because they are bothered by the facts. Ouch, but very true. And they also give us a number of things to consider. For starters, the Constitution never identifies the United States as a Christian nation. The language of the Constitution is 100% secular. Don't confuse the Declaration of Independence with the Constitution. Lots of people do. Lots of smart people do. Because everything just sort of melds together after a little while. Yeah. So if you're one of those people who thought that there was any mention of God anywhere in the Constitution, no. You're thinking of the Declaration of Independence. And no laws are written based on the Declaration of Independence. No. So no law or policy is drafted over the words in the Declaration of Independence, and there are reasons why that language is actually in there, which we will get to in a little while. Next, they point out that the First Amendment to the Constitution includes language that prohibits laws that, quote, respect an establishment of religion. It also includes language that protects the free exercise of religion, and these two things together form the foundation for a concept that we like to call separation of church and state. Key founding fathers rejected the idea of America being identified as a Christian nation. Thomas Jefferson opposed any concept of an officially government-backed church. James Madison, one of the primary authors of the First Amendment, also opposed the Christian nation concept. Now, some founding fathers, like Patrick Henry, did want this, but they were in an extreme minority, much more so than your pastor would like you to think. If they had a significant voice, there would have been at least some influence over the language of the Constitution, but they didn't, and history barely acknowledges them. The next point they make is that everyone who voted to adopt the Constitution knew that it was a secular document. Regardless of what their religious leanings were, they knew that they were establishing a secular society and they were okay with it. They also point out, this was kind of a little ominous thing that they put in at the end, but it's very true, and it's something that we really need to think about. This is not a harmless concept, as if we needed more indicators in the current social political climate. What we saw on January 6th is a direct outgrowth of this very errant belief, and that's just one. That's just one example. It's a big one, but it's just one. The article goes on to say that belief in the Christian nation concept has had several negative effects. When it is taught to children, it denies them the ability to learn about the true origins of religious liberty in America, a fascinating story in its own right. The Christian nation concept has also been used to undermine the separation of church and state, and it has served to motivate a generation of religious right activists. The most dangerous outgrowth of this belief is probably the development of Christian nationalism. In simplest terms, Christian nationalists are people who buy into the myth and argue aggressively that we've forgotten our values and need to return to a place where government and religion have authority that is on par with one another. Only one problem. They want to go back to something that never existed in America. A majority of white evangelicals are also Christian nationals, and they're very aggressive about their position on this particular subject, even though there's absolutely nothing to back them up. 
it's all smoke and mirrors. The emperor wears no clothes, but they just, they, they roll with this one a lot. And it's kind of foundational to the things that they do. So, I mean, whether anyone ever figures it out or not, they're going to keep perpetuating it as long as they're allowed. It is true that Christianity is still the majority religion in America, but that in and of itself does not make the U.S. a Christian nation. There is a difference between a Christian nation and a nation of Christians. And I don't even think we're that by definition. We are a huge melting pot with a lot of religions. It's just that Christianity is the loudest chihuahua in the pound. That's pretty much it. This country has never had an official religion, and here's hoping it never does. If the Constitution remains a thing, it won't. But according to Americans United for the Separation of Church and State, Quote, those who argue that America is a Christian nation usually means something more, insisting that the country should be officially Christian. The very character of our country is at stake in the outcome of this debate. Well, it's been an ongoing debate for a while. The ones who believe it just believe it blindly. And those of us who know better just treat them like the toddler level thinkers that they are. And we just kind of let them do their thing. Now, in a purely secular society, that might work a little bit better because there would be even more separation between church and state. And these people would be able to go off and have their field day and not bother anybody else. But like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, there are so many theists in our government that it's next to impossible to eradicate any kind of theist thought from policymaking and lawmaking. That's the problem that we have right now. But in the First Amendment to the Constitution, it clearly states that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. It's also worth reiterating that at its core, the United States is definitely still a secular society. We have a long way to go before secularism is the primary philosophy, but the fact that religion is allowed to exist here is proof that we are secular. We lend no deference to any single school of thought in terms of religion, spirituality, or the rejection of any and all things related to them. The disconnect is in the levels of influence that religion and theist lawmakers have on issues that ought to keep church and state truly separated. In short, we mix entirely too much religion with our secularism around here. But the deification of secularism is as old as the American experiment and does, in fact, predate the Declaration of Independence considerably. Quote from an article here, another article from AU.org. Many colonies, for example, had provisions limiting public office to, quote, Trinitarian Protestants and other types of laws designed to prop up the religious sentiments of the politically powerful. Some colonies had officially established churches and taxed all citizens to support them, whether they were members or not. Dissenters faced imprisonment, torture, and even death. These arrangements led to bitterness and sectarian division. Many people began agitating for an end to, quote, religious tests for public office. Oh, God, that just sounds so fucking nefarious. Tax subsidies for churches and other forms of state endorsement of religion. Those who led this charge were not anti-religion. Indeed, many were members of the clergy and people of deep piety. They argued that faith did not need or want the support of government. Religious pluralism was the actual goal of many of the Founding Fathers when they used religious language in their messaging. Now, of course, it would have been way better if they had just kept deities out of it altogether, but at the time, it seemed like the best form of inclusion that the government could endorse. 
Another quote from the same article, when Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence, for example, he spoke of unalienable rights endowed by our creator. He used generic religious language that all religious groups of the day would respond to, not narrowly Christian language traditionally employed by nations with state churches. It's also important to recognize that, as the Freedom From Religion Foundation puts it, quote, we are not governed by the Declaration. Its purpose was to dissolve the political bands, not to set up a religious nation. Its authority was based on the idea that governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, which is contrary to the biblical concept of rule by divine authority. It deals with laws, taxation, representation, war, immigration, and so on, never discussing religion at all. And from the AU article, Jefferson, James Madison, and their allies among the state's religious groups ended Virginia's established church and helped pass the Virginia Statute for Religious Liberty, a 1786 law guaranteeing religious freedom for all. And here is what that document says. Quote, we, the General Assembly of Virginia, do enact that no man shall be compelled to frequent or support any religious worship, place, or ministry whatsoever nor shall he be enforced, restrained, molested, or burdened in his body or goods, nor shall otherwise suffer on account of his religious opinions or belief, but that all men shall be free to profess and by argument to maintain their opinions in matters of religion, and that the same shall in no wise diminish, enlarge, or affect their civil capacities. There was a small number of delegates to the Constitutional Convention, who argued that the Constitution should formally recognize Christianity for this very loving, very tolerant, and not at all bigoted reason. They argued that officially recognizing Christianity was necessary to, quote, hold out some distinction between the professors of Christianity and downright infidelity or paganism. Isn't that lovely? Nothing. The love from these people even predates John Darby and anything organizationally evangelical. The initiative, however, was not adopted, and the Constitution rightly gave no authority to government in matters of religion. Article 6, which allows persons of all religious viewpoints to hold public office, was adopted by unanimous vote. So this doesn't sound to me like a bunch of guys that were trying to create a Christian nation. Through ratification of the First Amendment, observed Jefferson, the American people built a wall of separation between church and state, and that is where we get that phrase. Had this been properly executed and enforced, it is not likely that so much religious fuckery would have such a foothold here today. Now, back then, some of the clergy of the day were none too happy about this. They warned that the American experiment was destined to fail because of its failure to acknowledge Christianity in its constitution. But the more enlightened within their ranks saw the secular makeup of the constitution and the First Amendment as, quote, true protectors of liberty. And I can't help but think that a good number of them also understood that they would have less of a tax responsibility this way, too. Certain of the founding fathers, like Thomas Jefferson, saw the benefits of church-state separation for not just Christianity, but for all faiths. He was excited to learn that Virginia had passed his religious freedom law and said that it would help to ensure religious liberty for, quote, the Jew and the Gentile, the Christian and the Mahometan, or Muslim, the Hindu, the infidel of every denomination. Some of that uh, language is a little bit iffy, but let's remember when these things were said. And that brings me to the point that I kind of hinted at at the beginning. America is not a Christian nation, and we have it in writing. Anyone ever hear of the Treaty of Tripoli? 
Well, this is how we know. This is how we know where we stand as a nation on this particular issue. This document drafted by the Washington administration actually states that the U.S. is not a Christian nation. It was an agreement of treaty between the U.S. government and several Muslim governing bodies in North Africa. It was approved unanimously by the Senate in 1797 under the administration of John Adams. Article 11 of the treaty states, and this is as black and white as it gets, the government of the United States is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion. Okay, white evangelicals listening and fuming, let's hear that again. The government of the United States is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion. How do you deal with that? Well, simple. You just sweep it under the rug and keep touting your rhetoric and hope that there are still enough stupid people out there to listen to you. Right now, there are. Um, that's changing. And we're doing our part to help change that. But, you know, speaking of stupidity and people who don't really think or speak in the most intelligent of terms at times, well, these sorts of things can infect the Supreme Court, too. It's nice to know that our quote-unquote Supreme Court has always been at least a little fucked up. You know, just like that time when they accidentally declared the U.S. a Christian nation. Yeah, it happened. But no one took it all that seriously. In 1892, Supreme Court Justice David Brewer declared in a case called Holy Trinity versus United States... <laughs> The Holy Trinity versus the United States. The Holy Trinity. That America is a Christian nation. It should be noted, however, that the Holy Trinity decision is a legal anomaly. It has rarely been cited by other courts, and the Christian nation declaration appeared in dicta. So, again, white evangelicals, Christian nationalists, those of you who so tightly to this, here's what indicta means. It's a legal term, meaning writing that reflects a judge's personal opinion, not, not, not a mandate of the law. Also, it's unclear exactly what Brewer meant. In a book he wrote in 1905, he pointed out that the United States is Christian in a cultural sense, not a legal one, way to backpedal your opinion. <laughs> So the declaration really didn't mean much. It was rarely brought up as a legal precedent in other cases, and even the same judge won't try to assert any kind of legal authority to his declaration. And so now let's fast forward to 1985, and we get a much more sensical interpretation of the relationship between religion and government. Justice John Paul Stevens said in his 1985 Wallace v. Jaffrey ruling, quote, at one time, it was thought that this right merely prescribed the preference of one Christian sect over another, but would not require equal respect for the conscience of the infidel, the atheist, or the adherent of a non-Christian faith such as Mohammedism or Judaism. But when the underlying principle has been examined in the crucible of litigation, the court has unambiguously concluded that the individual freedom of conscience protected by the First Amendment embraces the right to select any religious faith or... None at all. Christians have pushed for official recognition in our government since the beginning and have tried numerous times to get the U.S. declared a Christian nation. The mid-1800s saw several efforts to add specific references to Christianity to the Constitution. One group called the National Reform Association, or the Not That NRA, called on Congress to make a Christian nation amendment in 1864. And these people wanted this because, wait for it, they believed that the Civil War was punishment from God for leaving him out of the Constitution. 
Giving him official props was said to be the way to atone for the omission. Wow. I'll even say it backwards. Wow. I mean, that's the level of logic we're dealing with here. Nice to see that things don't change much. But the not-that-NRA amendment called for, quote, humbly acknowledging Almighty God as the source of all authority and power in civil government, the Lord Jesus Christ as the ruler among the nations, and his revealed will as the supreme law of the land in order to constitute a Christian government. Ten years later, the House Judiciary Committee voted against its adoption. I wonder why it took a decade. The committee noted, quote, the dangers which the union between church and state had imposed upon so many nations of the old world and said in light of that, it was felt, quote, inexpedient to put anything into the Constitution which might be construed to be a reference to any religious creed or doctrine. As late as 1950, it was being proposed in the Senate to add language to the Constitution that, quote, devoutly recognizes the authority and law of Jesus Christ, Savior and ruler of nations through whom are bestowed the blessings of liberty, unquote. But the amendment was never voted out of committee. There were a few efforts to revive this one more than a decade later, too, and it didn't fly then either. So let's look at a couple of things that people try to point to when it comes to their argument of America being a Christian nation and why they're wrong. Let's start with the Pilgrims and Puritans. The early settlers of the U.S. colonies are often used as examples of people coming to America for, quote, religious freedom. This was pounded into my head from the time that I can remember. We're talking really, really, really early elementary school here. I can remember my second grade teacher talking about this. I think it's the first time I heard it was around second grade. Since the religion of the majority was Christian even then, it is simply assumed that these people showed up here looking to establish a country founded on Christian doctrine and principles. Just one problem. They really didn't. The very first English-speaking colonists settled in Jamestown in 1609 with the purpose of establishing trade, not religion, trade. Also, the Mayflower's religious freedom-seeking pilgrims didn't even make up half of the passengers aboard. So... Saying that we've been a Christian nation from the beginning and that everybody came here seeking religious liberty because they just didn't want to be Anglicans, that they wanted to be real Christians, that doesn't hold any water at all. Then there's the Ten Commandments myth. I heard this a few times, and I'm sure it started at Word of Life. I can remember it distinctly being brought up there. Not from the people running the camp, but from a couple of counselors obviously parroting things that they'd been taught as children. This is the nonsensical belief that American law is based on the Ten Commandments, but this couldn't possibly be true. For starters, the first four of the commandments are all based in religion. This is how Yahweh wants you to see him. Nothing there about the law or what constitutes being a good citizen or anything that the law would define as such. Of the remaining six, only half of those even come close to addressing legal issues. Murder, theft, and perjury are it. The Freedom from Religious Foundation points out here that, quote, if Americans honored the commandment against coveting, free enterprise would collapse. And it's very true. Our laws remain marvelously secular to this day, and they serve a very simple twofold purpose, to protect the public from criminals and to punish those who commit crimes against other citizens. The law doesn't care if you want to worship a stuffed pheasant and call it Harry, but the Ten Commandments would have a thing or two to say about that, wouldn't it? And by the way, the Supreme Court has ruled that posting the Ten Commandments in public schools is unconstitutional. 
Let me read that again for our Christian nationalist and white evangelical friends. The Supreme Court has ruled that posting the Ten Commandments in public schools is unconstitutional. Okay, so there are a couple of other small problems here too. What about the whole one nation under God thing? Well, we actually covered this a few weeks ago when we were talking about secularization. And honestly, the reason why this is in our Pledge of Allegiance today really comes down to one person and a good salesman. Yeah, That's really it. It comes down to Francis Bellamy seeding his sermon with this pitch that he knew that Dwight Eisenhower would hear. And since Dwight Eisenhower was the sitting president and it gave him a little quiver in his liver, all of a sudden we're saying one nation under God every time we say the pledge. Mm. That was the work of one person and a silver-tongued preacher. Yep. That was it. So that isn't proof of anything either. It doesn't prove that we're a Christian nation simply because you say this as part of your uh, quote-unquote pledge to your country. So what about, uh, what about in God we trust on our money? Isn't that an indicator of how we think about ourselves as a country? Well, this comes directly from the U.S. Treasury. The motto, In God We Trust, was placed on United States coins largely because of the increased religious sentiment existing during the Civil War. Secretary of the Treasury, Salmon P. Chase. Who names their kid basically Salmon? <laughs> Who names their kid Salmon? I pr I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Salmon. Salmon P. Chase received many appeals from devout persons throughout the country. This isn't proof that we're a Christian nation either, but it is one of those double-edged swords in the whole secularization argument. For good or for bad, this was an outgrowth of the concept of a government for the people, of the people, and by the people. A large enough number of people made their wants known and the government responded with a motto. It's, that's all it is. It isn't law. It isn't a government endorsement of any religion or God. The answer to the question, which God, is also left purposely ambiguous, further negating any endorsement of Christianity on our money. I don't like that it's there, but I don't have to agree with it to exchange the note for goods or services, and laws aren't written around it. And there's no law stating that it even has to be there. So, don't like, use your voice and tell your government. It's your right. That's how it got on there in the first place. That's how it's going to get off. So now that we've kind of given a Reader's Digest response, most of the quote-unquote prevailing arguments about this that are out there, when I decided to pursue this topic for this episode, one of the things that came very, very quickly to mind for me was a song from the mid-90s, again by Carmen. We've brought him up before. He did this song called America Again. And this guy, for those not in the know, had an absolute penchant for writing long-winded poems, basically, that he set to music. There were quote-unquote songs like The Champion, Jericho, The Shout of Victory, and then there was this, a song called America Again. This song is so inaccurate that it could be easily looked at as subversive. Of course, it's little more than a parroting of a lot of the same bile that Christian nationalists have been spewing for decades or more. I love how Pathios.com's Ed Brayton breaks this down. I'm going to go kind of Reader's Digest on this one too, but it's really, really good. And I recommend reading this article in its entirety. The source, the link to it is in the show notes, and I definitely recommend checking it out. So it starts out, let me get the actual lyrics in front of me here. I want to see if, uh, if I can follow this just a little bit more. 
So he starts out by basically listing the names of a bunch of the founding fathers who may or may not have anything to do with the narrative. The first thing that Braden cites in this article is a line that says, over 200 years ago, they shook off the chains of tyranny from Great Britain by divine call, citing 27 biblical violations. They wrote the Declaration of Independence with liberty and justice for all. 27 biblical violations? The Declaration of Independence never once mentions the Bible. And I'm going to just sort of move on and quote and explain, you know, point counterpoint as we go here. The next quote that he brings up from the song says, but something happened since Jefferson called the Bible the cornerstone for American liberty. Actually, nothing happened because Jefferson never said any such thing. This is an outright fabrication that Carmen was counting on people just agreeing with. And it was the same thing when he said in pretty much the next line, James Madison said, we've staked our future on our ability to follow the Ten Commandments with all our heart, except he didn't. Never, not ever did James Madison ever say any such fucking thing. There is no mention of this quote in any document prior to 1939, and it appears literally nowhere in any of Madison's speeches or writings. Then he says, in his farewell address, Washington said, you can't have national morality apart from religious principle. And it's true, because right now we have nearly 150,000 kids carrying guns to these war zones we call public schools. These are two thoughts that have absolutely nothing to do with each other, with the latter being so hopelessly subversive, it's a wonder that Carmen even got his own fans behind it. And just a bit about this entire section. It's nothing but a scare tactic to get more parents to consider homeschooling. Why, Carmen? So people can stay as stupid and sheltered as possible and keep buying your records? He ends with the thought with, in the 40s and 50s, student problems were chewing gum and talking. In the 90s, rape and murder are the trend. Oh, come on now. 20 years later, and this is still an insane overstatement. I will concede, however, that our education system is fraught with problems from student management to appropriate disciplinary policies and more. I'll also go on record stating that this song came out before Columbine, and yeah, things have gotten a little bit worse out there, but not for the reasons that he wants us to think they have. See, I think the bigger problem here isn't the absence of God in schools. It's the absence of competent leaders who aren't afraid of their subordinates or so busy guarding people's self-esteem that they forget that things like disappointment, failure, rejection, and discipline all do a little thing I like to refer to as building character. We no longer have detention here in our hometown, okay? We have sessions. We don't have in-school suspension. What we have now is the Student Services Center. This is what they call it in one of our local high schools, okay? That's right, Billy. Be a dick to your teachers and fuck up really bad so you can come to school and be served. This isn't about losing sight of God. It's about losing sight of common sense in favor of protecting everybody's feelings. And we need to steer back into a place where school prepares students for adulthood and doesn't leave them in a place where they have no choice but to remain emotionally children, clean through high school and sometimes into college and beyond. For sweet buck's sake, we barely teach people how to write anymore. How is school prayer going to fix that? Lastly on this point, 
the author interestingly notes that we have the highest Christian population anywhere in the developed world in the U.S., and yet we are also the only country that has these problems in our schools in the kinds of numbers that we see here. So even with God in America, we still have school shootings. The only way, and here's the next line from this idiotic song, the only way this nation can even hope to last this decade is to put God in America again. Oh, fake prophecy. You hardly ever see that. Um, Carmen, the 90s are way over and we're still here. And to quote Ed Kowalczyk, we're burnt to the core, but not broken. I love this line that I found from another source on this. Carmen is obviously a false prophet and should be stoned to death. Well, too late. He's dead. He died earlier this year. Now he can go to heaven and rhyme with the patriarchs. That's in another one of his songs, Lazarus Come Forth, another song just like this, loaded with all kinds of extra biblical everything. Even when we were in college, yeah. people knew that he was full of shit. <laughs> Lazarus Come Forth, but Lord, I'm not hermeneutical. <laughs> For those of you who don't know what that means, it means that it's biblically unsound. Everything that this guy had to say was very biblically unsound. And now we have truthfully unsound in probably the worst way in any of his songs ever. And, you know, when, when you're in the thick of it, you kind of swallow this stuff hook, line, and sinker. But when you start learning how to think better, you start understanding just how bad this is and just how people were groomed for years just by this guy to think this way because when he put out songs like The Champion and Jericho, The Shout of Victory and all the energy that was raised around those songs and the enthusiasm and the emotionalism that just came oozing out of them, it was preparing people for this. It was preparing them for something that was going to be wildly entertaining and also something that they could take at face value because after all, it's Carmen and he's cool. Only one more part of this that I'm even going to delve into, and I do link to the lyrics to this if you really want to have a good laugh or you just want to facepalm a little bit as you read. Mm -hmm. But this is the last part that the article actually goes into. Abe Lincoln said, quote, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of the government of the next. So when you eliminate the word of God from the classroom in politics, you eliminate the nation that word protects. Oh, at least he's not being too overwrought or anything. Yeah. Could we be just a slight bit more alarmist here? And um, could someone show me where the United States of America is specifically referenced in the Bible, please? So where the hell is he getting this? Well, he's pulling it from the same orifice that he pulled all the rest of this. <laughs> Makes me think about Zeitgeist and, you know, just yeah. copy and pasting bullet points and saying, well, this deity is like, like Jesus this way and everything is just in lockstep. No, no, you, you can't just say shit yeah. and expect it to be taken at face value. You see, this song came out before the internet was a big thing. Right. We were just starting to see dot-com everything, so it was a little bit harder to vet. These days, we literally carry around the knowledge of the ages in our pocket, and we can verify this shit now. And that has been problematic for evangelicals on a number of levels. Right. But in this particular instance, it's particularly rage-inducing because guess what? I was a fan of this guy like a lot of other people were. Saw him in concert several times. We trusted him because he really asserted himself as that kind of an authority. 
But the very, very last part of that section of the song, he says that America is now number one in teen pregnancy and violent crime, number one in illiteracy, drug use, and divorce. Again, all in the nation with the highest concentration of Christians in the developed world. That's assuming any of that is actually true. And I don't have time to do all the research needed to figure that out. True or false, it's alleged to be happening where God has the most fans. And that makes absolutely no sense if any of this is remotely true. I'm going to skip the pro-life, anti-porn, anti-gay diatribes that follow in this song because they don't serve any purpose here beyond rousing the rabble. And everyone knows that good, pragmatic, secular thought is almost always pro-choice, sex-positive, and inclusive. Let Carmen have his little hate fest whilst we move on to more pressing matters. That's what I say. And apparently Brayton agrees. He stops there with his analysis because as he says, there's no reason to address all the hate and ignorance that follows. This song has lines about replacing condoms with Bibles in public schools and highly enlightened thoughts like when it gets to the point where people would rather come out of the closet than clean it, it's the sign that the judgment of God is going to fall. I won't sit here and say that I'm glad someone is dead. I'm saving that for 45. But I will say that I'm relieved that we've seen the last of this guy's quote-unquote songwriting and that he isn't out there spreading this toxic, hate-fueled, shitty messaging anymore. And with that, let's segue into just this last little bit that I brainstormed on reading some of the articles that I was reading for research for this episode. There are actually some pretty compelling reasons why church organizations shouldn't want official status in the Constitution as a Christian nation. It is not to their benefit to have this classification, and here are just a few reasons why. First, the boundaries of what constitutes Christianity would have to be ironed out and agreed upon uniformly. I'm sorry, but how many denominations are there out there right now? And why do these various denominations exist? Think about it. It's because these people can't agree on anything. So how are you going to come up with one uniform description of what this thing called Christianity is and put it in a document that is foundational to the way that we do things in this country? There's just flat out too much disagreement on doctrine and dogma to ever be able to iron out an official explanation of what Christianity is. Next, not all churches operate the same or have the same protocols when it comes to the practice of their religion. Pentecostal services and what happens in a Quaker meeting house are not the same. Another reason why Christianity will never have the concrete definition needed to declare it our national religion. Next, there's liberalism and conservatism in Christianity as well as in politics. Which side would Christianity as a government-defined concept represent? Because it really can't represent both at the same time. There are views that are just absolutely diametrically opposed to one another. So it would be very, very difficult to have any kind of meeting of the minds on this either. Liberal Christians see the value in separation of church and state in ways that benefit society above and beyond the bottom line on a church's accounting ledger. You see, that's the left-wing versus right-wing aspect of this. And lastly, church-state separation really is the only thing that effectively protects religious freedom. If you're a Pentecostal and... It says in the Constitution that you need to worship like a Methodist. Where's your religious freedom? Declaring Christianity as the national religion would not equal religious freedom. It would put more sects of Christianity in chains than it would liberate anyone. 
This is flat out not a good idea. The founding fathers of this country understood this, and that's why they wrote the Constitution the way that they did. They wrote the Constitution with safeguards against that sort of thing. And you should be thanking them, not vilifying them for not doing enough to let your voice be heard. In a secular society, your voice is heard, but you're not guaranteed an audience. That's the rub. As a last thought here, we are so indoctrinated to think of America as being a Christian nation that some people who aren't even remotely religious just accept this as a matter of fact. There are a lot of Christians here, but that doesn't mean anything beyond that there are a lot of Christians here. There are also a lot of Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, Zoroastrians, <laughs> even atheists. Atheists, wow, imagine that. Hmm. No religious group can lay claim to America. Why? Because again, the Constitution was written in a way that makes it impossible to do any such thing, and for good reason. These were smart people. They thought about this, and they did a stellar job of lining things up the way that they did, just so that something like this couldn't happen, because that's not the way we do things in a secular society. So yeah, we are a secular society. We just need to figure out how to treat religion with inclusion in a way that doesn't lead to intrusion. And right now, religion, Christianity in particular, evangelical Christianity especially, intrudes way too much on our laws and politics, and that needs to change. And we bring about that change by keeping the attention on the truth. And the truth is that so few of our founding fathers were proponents of the concept of identifying as a Christian nation that history barely even acknowledges the ones who did. And as much as I'm aware that America, again, is just a song, it's a song that reflects the opinions and values of a lot of Christians, evangelicals in particular. Back in the day, it never occurred to me to look any of that stuff up, because why would Carmen lie about any of it? It also fit very snugly with my worldview, so what was the point? As far as I was concerned, as, you know, as a teenager and young adult at the time, we needed more Bibles and fewer condoms as far as I was concerned. And homosexuality was a sin. That was just a given in the way that they taught us to think. The way Carmen steered the messaging in that song was deliberate. He drops a lot of false quotes, then stirs the pot with every hot button issue out there, thereby ensuring that we agree with all of it and let our righteous anger determine whether or not any of it is true. I could go on for days about the dangers of letting thought be governed by emotion, but that's a discussion for another time. For now, if I could select a single takeaway for what we discussed tonight, it would be this. Let's start worrying about the things that matter in this country, not whether or not a religion was ever adopted by the government. Let's work on the flaws in our electoral process, because when three million more people vote for one candidate over another, those voices should not be silenced by the Electoral College. Let's not keep trying to use laws and politics to impose our personal ethics on an entire country. Let's fix our education system and get back to teaching students how to think and behave so that they have a chance in hell at having productive lives in an adult world. What all those things have in common is that they don't require a God to achieve. In fact, in all of those instances, leaving religion out of it would only make them more effective. If God's way is so much better, why does he have so many followers in a society that reflects characteristics that are supposed to be contrary to his nature? 
Why are people still homeless here? Why do people still starve to death here? Why do some people die because they can't afford the medicines and treatments they need to survive? Where is God in any of this? Why do we even bother to think about God in relation to our national identity? How does it improve things? How does it help? You see, Carmen wanted us to believe that the only hope for America is Jesus. I would suggest that any hope that may exist for our advancement as a people and as a nation comes in the form of secularization, free thought, and humanism. It's found in embracing science. It's found in affording everyone who lives here their liberty. Give people the opportunity to live the way they choose. You know, let them pursue happiness as they define it. If your religion makes you happy, for good or for bad, it's yours to practice. America doesn't have to be a Christian nation if your relationship with Christ is personal. Now, does it? Leave the nation out of it and do what the book says in Philippians 2.12 and work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For the rest of us, let's remember that secularization was the goal of the Constitution, and let's never stop questioning the things that members of our government do to advance a theist agenda. And when they overstep, let's vote them out and make room for leaders who understand what the Founding Fathers' vision for our country actually was, one where people could make their own choices and pursue their own interests with liberty and justice for all, a concept that is built into the framework of our Constitution, unlike that Christianity is our national religion, which is not. And let's remember that it's liberty that allows religion to be part of the equation, again, for good or for bad. We have the choice to live by tenets of faith and let other people decide our morals and values. We also have the choice to do something far better, to abandon all adherence to religion, exercise our secular liberty, pursue happiness, and live our lives unbound. enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound.